0: Hey everybody, this is Jared. Welcome to the Photographic Collective Podcast. I'm here with my good buddy, Miles. Hey guys. Hello. Dude, we got an awesome guest today. This is a good friend of Miles straight from New York City, Derek Fossbender. Tell us a little bit about Derek.
1: Okay. So Derek, I he's like the most irreverent human that I know. And I say that because in this interview, Jared, he was like, I've never seen this side, and all things that um, that I knew were there, and so I'm glad they they come forward. I really am. But um, Derek is is one of the most talented street photographers I've I've ever known, and one of the things that you guys are going to hear throughout the course of this interview is the process through which maybe kind of like the evolution through which he ditched that title and decided that being a street photographer was no longer enough. Right. What it, did that, did that hit you, Jared? I thought it was a cool thing.
0: He's just super vulnerable in talking about changing and uh, growing. I, I think the word growth of seeing his journey is super cool to see for somebody so talented uh, and to have the quote-unquote status that he has, um, it was super cool to hear it coming from from him. So everybody's in for a
1: treat. Yeah, Fujifilm uh, ambassador, global ambassador, um, a, a, a close friend, all the way up the ladder. I mean, literally as high up as you can get uh, in in this industry. Um, he works with BNH events. Great dude, uh, man. I just can't wait for people to hear. Uh, just to hear Derek's voice. Um, so let's just uh, click over. and Let's get at it. Can I not? Why don't I? Why don't I make a promise to you right now to not ask you the questions that are like, so Derek, what got you into photography?
0: Mm, what no, if we you don't you do, do those? Do you want
2: to not do those questions? We can. We look. I just was telling somebody earlier. I was on. This is my third call of the day.
0: No third yes. podcast.
2: Not podcast, but like. Between like, call, so he has two, two kind other of friends. Into my day job, I have two other friends, yeah. and you know, they got on the schedule first, so I had to give them some time. But, uh, yeah, no, it's like we were talking about like interviewing, and and people were like, you know, what do what you like? What's your style? What is your tip for interviewing? It's like, look up as much about the person as you can. And this is kind of like a, I know he's like a toxic character in interviewing, but he's great. Howard Stern, he knows so much about who he's interviewing, and you know, what has already been beaten to death? What has everyone asked about? What does everybody already know? What's all the information that's out there? And it's kind of like the whole portrait mentality of, okay, what suppose everyone has you do? Okay, now don't do that. Never do that during the rest of this session. I want you to do stuff that no one has you do. And it's kind of the same thing with like interviewing where it's like you go off off the the trail and you don't ask about what inspired you. You don't ask what got into you because it's like at this point, it's verbatim. Right, You don't even think about it. You're just spitting out the, oh, boxes and albums of four by six photos that I looked at that my mother took growing up. And that's what got me into it. And that's what got me into the whole snapshot aesthetic. And then I was like, hey, if I learn a little bit about photography and then I can learn how to take better photos and now I can do really cool snapshots. And you don't think, and nobody wants that.
0: Well, I'm glad to know that. Dude, this
1: concludes the Photographic Collective podcast. Thank you all for listening. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be here
2: all week. (laughs)
1: Okay, hold on. All right. Let's, let's do this right for just two seconds. <laughs> Listeners, y'all, there's a reason why we record the intros after we do the interviews. And it's because I, it takes me the entire interview to try and wrap my mind around how the heck I'm going to sum somebody up. There isn't enough time on this podcast for me to figure out how to sum up Derek. Um, Derek, let's not talk. Let's talk about something more interesting than how you got into photography. Let's talk about how you became my friend.
2: I'm glad that you went there. And actually, you know, when we were talking about sending images for like, when you were like, send me an image. And of course, the first thing I started doing was sending you selfies. And you're like, oh, no, this isn't what I meant. (laughs) There was an image. And I came across a couple of the images from the first day that we met. Which was When when I walked out of Hudson Yards. This was 2019 Photo Plus Expo, New York City. I walked out of Hudson Yards and I see this dapper individual. And the first thing that's jumped out to me was like oh this dude's my height are taller it's gonna be a competition <laughs> you know you know men in their height it's like you got to be the tallest midget in the circle I, I was wearing platform you can't say that i was wearing platform You can't shoes. say that you were wearing platform mm-hmm. shoes. so i walk out um real talk i walk out and i see him like this guy's dapper good looking dude he's tall he's confident maybe I'll go and grab a shot of him because there's like something shaping up. So I'm just kind of like stalking him from behind working the shot because I don't want to ask him for a photo. I, I want to get him in his environment. And, you know, he's got the the ankle height, nice fitted slacks, no socks, showing all ankles, yeah, platform He would have had shoes. muscles back
0: in 2019. Yeah, that was back when.
2: Yeah, it was a couple he, years yeah, ago. This was, yeah, this was like pre-Strava Miles where <laughs> yeah.
0: he was brolic.
2: And now, now he's like...
0: I just ran an Iron Man. Emaciated
2: Miles is here. I'm the same, dude. I'm the same. It was both different versions of both of us. But I think what I'm getting to is we just clicked, man. I walked up and it was kind of like, all right, you look like the, the picture of who is supposed to be working this Photo Plus event with me. You know, we were both doing photo walks for Fujifilm. And I'm very big on vibes and energy. And you gave off great energy and it was like, okay, this is like, I can really click with this dude. We started joking around and next thing you know, we're getting overpriced empanadas that we probably said were way better than they actually were. were we were not My stomach hurt for hours. I mean, that's nothing new for me. Okay. Like I could eat anything and my stomach's going to hurt, but you know, when it's like... I was letting the empanadas take the credit for the experience where I was like, Oh, these are the best empanadas I've ever had. And really I was just happy with everything from that day, you know, and then we went on, miles was doing these photo walks with like a bride and a groom and a whole pro photo team following him around. And I just have an ex pro three. Cause that's what, that's what was being pushed out at the time. And like, okay, Hey, I got a group of people. I, I don't need all this fanfare. And we somehow, by the end of the day, we, we kind of like intersected on our walks. And Miles was like, wow, that guy's having way more fun over there. I want, it. I want some of what he's having. And we decided for our last walk of the day, we were going to come together and bring his wedding group in with my street photography group. And everybody was totally cool with it. So you had Miles doing street portraits by the end of the day. And not sharing any of his pro photo lighting with me, so I was still just doing street portraits as well. but it was one big happy family and from there you know it was it was me miles allison that's when we met Allison or you know when i met everybody uh p v r paul von Reeder. that's when I met paul von Reeder. he was more a he was more like a uh a how do i he was like a fairy tale character that day. It was like you heard the legend of PVR and he said I think three words through the whole day. It was basically just Miles and I talking about ourselves the whole day. But he kind of observed. But that's when we met everybody and to this day we're all still very close cuz it was just this genuine
1: vibe. Dude, okay, so you just painted the perfect picture cuz that's that this is the reason I wanted to have you on here is cuz I you have Those of you guys really quick that are listening to this that haven't found Derek's work yet, uh, go, go look him up Um, links in the show notes, all of that stuff. But, but look up his street photography work because you have one of the more unique perspectives on street photography that I've ever seen in the sense that you're, you're not afraid of being on the street. Like this isn't, this isn't a, a reactionary, like, you know, I'm going to hold a camera and hope nobody notices that I took their picture and and that's what that that first day with you that's what stuck out to me so much uh, was was this idea of you are shooting people in their in their environment the exact same way that I do only I know them and you don't yes, like they, I know who my it, clients are
2: right there's a comfortability it's it's like it's a like confidence when you walk up and somebody's confident there's something that's why they say confidence is sexy there's something about being out there and knowing that anything, you can walk into any environment, any situation, and you know you're gonna get great photos. You know you're gonna have a great experience. Cause for me, it's all about the experience. I've even stopped calling myself a street photographer because I'm just a photographer. I know that sounds like very cliche, like I'm just a photographer, I'm just a guy, a guy who has a camera. Like, no, I, I just like photographing things that I like to look at or things that I wanna remember. And for me, it's more about the experience of the street. And it's funny that you mentioned being comfortable on the street because things have changed in the last couple of years. And I don't photograph the same things that I used to photograph because I don't feel as comfortable in that environment anymore. New York has changed. Culture has changed. People have changed. The way we respond to cameras is way different now. Where it used to be like, you used to walk up in film days pre-social media, and nobody had to worry about their picture being splashed all over the internet or their employer seeing them smoking a cigarette or smoking something else or just being caught out there. I think certain ways has made it easier. Certain ways has made it more difficult. It's clearly people are more comfortable with cameras and, and their images being taken, which helps in certain ways. But in other ways... Now the internet is so vast and it's so forever that a lot of people are apprehensive about having their photo taken and it can be, it can lead to some contentious moments on the street. And I think 2020 was the point where I learned that, or not learned, but I guess I kind of moved into a new state of appreciating more than just the people in New York city. It's so easy to say people are what make New York go round There's so much beautiful architecture. It's such a beautiful city. In 2020, when you had it stripped of people, you were able to focus on something other than what you'd been focused on 99% of the time before, which is the characters. You know, that's why there's Humans of New York. I don't know how much you guys know about how it kind of came to be the Humans of New York thing, but he, you know, Brandon used to have folders or or like these, you know, like blog posts he would do. And every city he went to, it was like, okay, let's say Pittsburgh, for example, Pittsburgh is all bridges. Okay. Bridges of Pittsburgh. And he would kind of just take pictures of whatever the thing was that encapsulated that city. And if there's any huge humans, in New York fans out there, and I'm butchering the entire, his, his, uh, his origin story, let me know. But to the, to my knowledge, this is how it kind of came around to the humans in New York thing was it was like humans are what made New York, New York. And for a long time, that's what defined my work. And it's not the same as it is 10 years ago or even five years ago. My my style has changed so much that that's what's led me to drop the street from just being a photographer, taking pictures of things I like to see and breaking that mold of feeling like we have to fit in, of photographing what our fans and followers want to see and photographing what I want to take pictures of. I don't know if that was like just random rambling, but... I've never spoken more honestly and candidly about what I do. And I think we sometimes get locked into being typecast and we don't allow ourselves that we typecast ourselves because we're expected to be something. And it's not easy to sit there and say, Hey, I know you're bringing me on this podcast because I'm a street photographer and I do edgy work, but guess what? I'm not as edgy anymore. I've kind of grown. I'm like, you know, this guy who used to get up in people's faces and used to relish in these wild interactions and these crazy stories. And now I kind of play the 10th row seat guy who's just kind of observing and is appreciating different things. Cause ultimately, for me, it's about, you know, I, I said this the other day to somebody, and the reaction on their face told me everything. I said, Photography is one of the few things that appreciates with time, most things depreciate. You drive a car off the lot, boom, you just lost 20, 30% of the value. A photo every day, every month, every year, every decade that a photo is in existence, it gains more importance because you're further away from that moment. And the less you remember it and the more value it puts on that record of it.
1: Dude, you just took us 12 different directions at once. Your ADD is firing. It is time to like... Welcome to a conversation with me, guys. <laughs> Derek popping at her all. Let's slow down. <laughs> uh, okay, well, so quickly then let's let's just go down this road because cause, cause I, I can see Jared's mind, you know, like the wheels are turning and and I like I'm dude, I'm there. I can you can you stop us though really quickly and and just hit like I want advice then on how I can be more present in the way that my work is evolving. Because it seems like you've been very intentional with this. Like you are an off-the-cuff. If any, anybody that follows Derek knows that you are like probably the the single most uh, disrespectful human alive. But also proudly, my, yeah, that's not a yeah. It's it's well documented. Um, but only to people that deserve it. But the that's not true. I, I also also that's a gross <laughs> overstatement. You could get it. The the point is like Derek is Derek has no filter. You just do what you want to do but there's so much intentionality in when you press the button. And I think that you see a big, a a massive gap between something as childish and silly as your Instagram story. And as you pressing the button on a piece of work, that's going to have your name attached to it for the rest of your career. So how do we become more intentional in when and how we press that button?
2: I love this question. And, this is really a new thing for me. My whole life, I felt like I didn't belong. I was an athlete. I was an artist. I was a class clown. I checked all the boxes, but I was, I was like a jack of all trades, master of none in life. I didn't know who I was. I always really looked up to the people who could just be themselves and they were so sure in who they were. The people that never went through phases. And I think that I shamed myself for going through phases and being 20 different people at the same time and being one person this week and one person the next week and you know, code switching, going to Fifth Ave and talking one way with people and then going into the projects and talking another way. And then I finally hit a point in my life where I was like, this, I'm the sum of my parts. I'm everything, I'm all of it. Why do I need to hide that? Why do I need to be afraid of who I am? Why can't I own it? Why can't I really harness that energy and make it who I am? And that's when my Instagram shifted. You know, you talked about how chaotic and random my Instagram stories are. And it's like, that's me. You've hung out with me in person. You can vouch. Like I can go from a a 10 to a two to a negative 70 in a matter of seconds. And I think... Getting back to what your question is, you have to figure out who you are. In order to be successful as a photographer, it starts with you. What makes you different than anybody else? Because you're not taking different pictures, you're not doing different ideas. Every once in a while, you might stumble across something that nobody's done or you're doing better or, or different. Or at the end of the day, we're all just recycling content, we're recycling approaches, we're teaching the same stuff over and over and over. You know what makes it different? You, right? You might be Jared. You might be Miles. You might be some random person listening to this podcast right now who up until this point was like, hey, I've this whole time I've been trying to be something I'm not, or I've been ashamed of like who I am. No, you have to just own who you are. Nobody can decide who you are except for you. And for me, it just happened to take damn near 40 years for me to figure it out. And once I figured it out, I hit the ground running and I started just owning it. And that's when all of my success came. So intentionality is about knowing who you are. It's about being able to open it up in the fast lane, no cars in front of you and just put the gas pedal to the floor. Right. Because otherwise you're, you're apprehensive. You don't know, Oh, mm. well, my, well, can I post this? It, you know, can you are people going to like this? You know, you quit. Yeah. You question everything. You limp into everything. And you're worried about what people think. You know, true happiness in life is not caring what anybody else thinks. When you break it down to a molecular level, that's really what it is. A person who is truly happy does not care what anybody else thinks. And I'm damn close, but I'm not quite there. There's times where it's like, you know, how many times do we put an outfit on? It's like, oh, are people going to like, am I too underdressed? Am I overdressed? Are they going to make fun of the fact that I'm wearing 70-year-old Medicaid sneakers and I'm a 40-year-old guy who is trying to keep my street cred. Um, You really just have to be comfortable in who you are and what you're taking photos of and do it for you. I clearly 100% genuinely take photos that I love. I look at my images so many times. I may not post them, but I look at them over and over and over and over because it's reliving my life. And I can do that now because I'm so happy with my work. I'm fighting imposter syndrome every day that I pick up a camera, every day that I wake up and breathe another breath just by accepting who I am. Because it's no longer about likes. It's no longer about follows. It's no longer about any of this stuff that we've given weight to in the creative industry. We've all seen how much the creative industry can change in, in a number of years. It's like how many people are like ready to like break their backs just to be relevant on whatever that thing was that was like a live podcast the audio thing clubhouse I can't clubhouse yeah and it's like Too man soon. Too soon. <laughs> look everybody was there i had a clubhouse profile i'm one of them yeah but i was the main. You know?
0: yeah he was, was different.
2: You, you were like <laughs> Ouch. I, look we all we, we all are on the same path and we get caught up in the same traps and that's my personal perspective everyone Mm -hmm. else has their own vision you have to find your own way I can't yeah go ahead Jack
0: well just Derek so what what was the catalyst for that like what was that the catalyst for the shift in your mindset there or was it like a slow progression
2: it was a slow progression and I think I kind of just hit a point where it had nothing to do with photography it was me in general like am I happy am I doing this like I I I had a really bad job history, like to the point of like, I was always the person that was like, just get me in a room, get me in front of somebody and I will get hired. As long as I like have minimum qualifications, I'll get hired because ultimately who do you hire? You hire the person that you want to take out to lunch. You hire the person that's like want, you know, is is a presence in the office that is felt and everyone's like, oh, everyone's in a good mood when they're around. But I didn't have the keywords. I didn't have the resume. I was working dead end job to unemployment to underemployed to all of that. And so it it was it was a change within me. Photography wasn't gonna make me anybody. And I realized that. And I think that's one thing that set me apart from the crowd early on is realizing that there has to be a tangible goal as far as monetarily. Let's, you know, because let's talk about the business end of it. If you can't. Afford to pay your bills and you can't put food on the table, then you don't really have the time and the mental capacity to open yourself up to the art of photography. To the really like, if you're so stressed on paying your bills, pay your bills first. Don't follow the passion, follow the money. The money will create the comfortability, it will create the time, it will create the opportunity to chase the passion. And a lot of people, I feel like they have it backwards. They're out there preaching, follow your passion. No, don't follow your passion. Follow the money. And then avail yourself, you know, make yourself available to the passion. That'll always come. And I think that's something that I figured out that helped me was I was always focused on paying the bills. But, you know, and and my photography took a backseat for a long time. The fact that I'm sitting here as a sponsored photographer being a street photographer is wild because there is no money in street photography. And anybody out there who thinks that there's money and fame and everything. And it's like, yes, it's great. I love my relationship with the brands that uh, that I work with, but I'm driving the bus. Brands aren't driving the bus. They they make opportunities for you. And it's great to have a relationship. But I say this all the time. Don't get caught up in in, you know, having you know a brand presence or this no pay your bills pay your bills in any way you can and then worry about having fun with it
1: see this is cool because this is one of the the conversations that you and i get to have in common i know you mentioned earlier allison and paul and you and i and um and a lot of the other guests that have been on here that that are sort of adjacent to this relationship as well um everybody knows like john branch um you know, was, that was a guest on here. And, uh, Phil Porto was a guest on here. And, um, you know, these are, these are friends of ours that all have sort of this one thing in common. And before you guys, the listeners all jump to assume what I'm going to say we have in common, I'm, I'm going to correct you because it's not the cameras that we shoot. Uh, it, it really isn't. I and mean, the reason these friendships have all been built so strong, um, has very little to talk. How often, Derek, how often do we talk about gear? When was the last time I even asked you what camera you are shooting?
2: Never. I don't, it's never a conversation. I don't
1: care. Although, we did <laughs> laugh the other day in New York. We were, like, two of the only people on planet Earth with X100Vs. So, um, I, I made a joke. We, we and, have fun with I it. I made a joke in the Fujifilm Slack channel that we looked like um, hipster Pied Pipers with, with a whole bunch of, like, people popping edibles, following us through the street, trying to find out where they could get one. Um, but the the reality is, like, what we have in common is... Is just an appreciation, or a creative appreciation for humans, for people, and we shoot people. Um, and so, walk me, take me down that that route, then, for you, because even though it has changed and even though it has evolved, I've seen it evolve even in in your relationship, like with your son, with the way that like you see yourself as a dad, or you see yourself at the B and H office as an employee, or as a friend to. You're like a friend of Marge, but like an employee of, of Steph, right? Like, I, I, I mean, walk us through how it is that you build these remarkably strong relationships with people and and then allow that to to influence your work.
2: Well, I've always been interested in psychology, sociology. Um, and here's a little bite-sized tip, trick, whatever, piece of information for those of you listening. Shoot what you know, shoot what you love. You'll never go wrong. You start with those things. Whenever you're not inspired, whenever you don't have any direction, whenever you can't think of a project to start or anything to take photos of, or you're uninspired, start with what you know, start with what you love. And I'm glad you brought my son up because that's been a major motivating force in my photography as he's gotten older and started to show his personality. And it's like every day I do it for him. Everything I do, I do because I want my son to succeed and I want him to have every opportunity available to him. And that's kind of shaped, you know, my photography in the way that I take photos of him constantly. I think it's so cool that I can take really cool pictures of him to look back on. And I can remember every memory I have with him and just happen to do it in an aesthetically pleasing way because I know my way around a camera. You know, let's not leave that out of I it. Mean, it is it is an important part. You know, we talk about the snapshot aesthetic and I love that, but I do love creating these moments where it's like, wow, that's a cool picture. I have a muse. I have a model. I have the number one person in my life who is is every moment with him. He's over here playing basketball on his Peppa Pig basketball hoop as I'm talking about him, just completely oblivious. And he's what makes my world go round. And he's really made me see that, you know, because you have a human, you know, we talk about humans and interacting with people. I've I've taken this human, like I created this human. I've seen him every step of the way. There's no better case study for humans and interaction than your own child. So as I've gotten to know him and to, you know, I see the effect that I have on his life and the effect that he has on my life, all the other, all my studies in psychology, my studies in sociology, all my years being in the streets, talking to different people, it's like, that was all practice for this. And that was all just, you know, practice leading up to the big game was like, okay, time to put everything into practice now. Like, let's see if I can raise this kid. Right. Cause I've never even, you know, let a plant live longer than two weeks and we're going on six years. I think I'm doing all right here, but I know I got way off in the weeds in that, but people interest me. That's, at the end of the day, that's what it is. People interest me. People are so amusing. There's no other being or subject in the universe that is as engaging as humans are. You can talk, you can interact. They offer so much. I can sit and talk to you and Jared for 50 years straight and still not know everything there is to know. You'll never know everything there is to know about another human. And that just intrigues me. You only people People will only ever know what they can see from you, hear from you and what you tell them. Never going to know what's going on. You don't know what I'm thinking right now. I can tell you a million different things and none of them might be what I'm really thinking. That intrigues me. And I, I think that capturing people in a candid state is that one opportunity, or even if it's posed, you have that opportunity to like look through somebody's eyes into their soul. There goes that cliche right there. Of you know, it's a cliche for a very good reason because it's true. And you guys see it as photographers capturing people's special moments. I'm sure you guys are looking and waiting for that moment when somebody's not expecting the photo to be taken. The in-between moments where you get that real person or the, the second that you raise your camera and take a photo of somebody before they realize the camera's on them and you get their instant reaction. That's like so powerful to me. I love eye contact. I love when people respond to images, whether it's positive or negative, because it tells me who that person really is. And that split second before... The brain fires an impulse that gives them the reaction. You caught a raw moment. And that's, there's something so beautiful and pure about that for me.
0: Jared, what do we think? That's really cool. I love it. It makes me think of like why we double shoot, like why we shoot with two photographers because of that. Like you'll see when our images come together in the gallery, you'll see where I am and where Miles is and catching those raw moments in between, because Miles is so good at directing and just like kind of carrying the conversation to where I have the freedom to be flipping anywhere in the scene and catching moments that people didn't even know were there, you know, until after the wedding's over. But uh, I think that's super cool. And there's so much value in all that.
2: Let me ask you, Jared, does it open yeah. you up knowing, is that like a safety net, having Miles Completely direct and knowing that oh, your job yeah. is to fill in, <laughs> fill in the gaps with your own personal voice and vision. I mean, that's freeing, yeah. right? It opens, oh, up, it opens up you to, you have no responsibilities as far as like, like Miles, I'm sure has a shot list. Miles has to deliver certain things and you get to fill in the gaps.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much the one who gets to have fun while he uh, he does all the work. Whatever. No, but seriously, yeah. It is I mean, at this point now, like we're we're on the same wavelength when we're going into moments and know like he knows that I'm what I'm doing, uh while he's doing his thing. Um, but I mean it's taking years to get to that point to where we don't have to like talk about it. <laughs> Um, but on the back end, it's super cool when I'm editing the wedding to see like how the puzzle kind of came together and like the moments that, oh, like, I'm so glad we caught that, you know, you wouldn't have been able to catch that by yourself from that one, from that one, uh, perspective or whatever. So that's pretty cool though. It is. Yeah,
2: I don't have the benefit of a second shooter when I'm out there well, in the streets. It's it's you, all you me. Give, I need a second a shooter. That's gonna be. I'm gonna start that new concept, second shooting for
1: street photography. You know what's interesting though, Derek? I, this is. The, I've got two things in my mind, quickly to to run through. But number one, I'll, I'm gonna send you over dates when this whole thing is over. I would love to, and I, I'd love to while we're recording this. I'd love to invite you to come and shoot with Jared and I. Uh, we've got a couple of weddings back up in the city um, later in the year, and. I'd, I'd love to invite you uh, to come because I think it would be really fascinating to, uh, for both of us, for me to have the opportunity to see you shoot as a, not change your aesthetic, not change your approach, not change your, like to do this, to do your genre at an event. And I also think it'd be really beneficial for you to be able to see sort of behind the scenes and how uh, logistically we're creating um, opportunities for natural moments to occur. And Can I wear running shorts? You can wear anything that you want as long as you aren't working for me. But no, if you're working for me, you're <laughs> going to have to not wear running shorts. Um, yes. I get to go buy a suit. Secondly, this is interesting that you bring all this up though, because Jared and I, I mentioned this when we first got started, Jared and I were at the gym a little while ago and we were kind of talking about some of the other projects that we have going on. Everybody knows us as wedding photographers. And, and that's, that's great. I, that is obviously by far the majority of the work that we do. But what we've started shooting a number of documentary projects, long-form documentary projects, where the unifying factor really is just telling stories. It's just creating narrative around humans, not around brands, not around practices or techniques or, you know, like uh, in, insert money-making opportunity here, but, but really around humans and uh, and the lives that they live. And I want to ask you directly, because I feel like this is something that you you get to see on a day-to-day basis. Between the time that you know you get off the train and you show up um, at the BH office or wh- wherever you're working that day, or whatever you're shooting that day, what is the unifying factor that you see in the people in New York? Like, what is the thing that connects them all? Because it's that glue is the thing that, that Jared and I are working with a number of these companies to say, like, okay, sure. You're, you're running this massive, hundreds, thousands of acres of ranch, and you've got people that work that all have different jobs, but there is one thing that connects you all, right? So, the familiar, the, familiar, the familiar. Let's, start, let's try this again. The familiarity.
2: Of the New York experience. And I'm going to say that again. The familiarity of the New York experience. People gravitate to things they're familiar with, Right. People love to be in known company. It's comfortable. When you're in the car and you get the aux cord, for all my old people who remember the aux cord, Mm. you you could put on the best song. But if you have a car full of people, if no one knows that song, and it's like you're heading for a road trip, everybody's amped up, everybody's having good vibes. You put on a song that nobody knows. It doesn't matter how good it is. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you just killed the vibe. You could put on a song that nobody would admit to liking otherwise, but everybody knows it. Miles, I'm looking at you, Miley Cyrus, Party in the USA. Let's go. And you know, you're going to have like a car full of dudes singing at the top of their lungs just because they know all the words, just because it's familiar. It's not a good song. It's familiar. And that's what ties New Yorkers together or anywhere you go. I think New York, especially because it is such a unique experience living in New York, I think that's where you get people. You get people because whether you're in the subway, you all know the subway experience. You all know what it's like. It's, you're, you're trapped in a tin can. You don't know what's going to come through the, the door at the end of the subway car at any time. You don't know when you're going to be stopped in between stops. You don't know when you're going to have a delay. That tension is a shared experience. I won't photograph people in the subway car because of that tension, because I understand what they're going through. I understand the experience. I see somebody in the street. There's somebody going crazy across the sidewalk. You lock eyes with somebody else and they're seeing the same thing. You're like, yeah, I've got to dodge that one. Let's Let's cross against the light here and get away from that. It's a shared experience. That's what I feel. If you can boil it down to one thing, it's the shared experience. No matter where you're at, when you go to Vegas, right? Everyone's in Vegas for one reason to have a good time. Not
1: us. We're just there to <laughs> eat at that same tacky steakhouse over and over and over again.
2: CC Paul Von Reeder. I personally, I personally love going to the uh what's the castle? How did I forget the name? Excalibur. It is like the best of the worst of the best of society. And I love it. I'm I'm there for it. Next time in Vegas, I'm bringing you with me. But that's it. It's a shared experience. You go to a resort. Everybody's on vacation, right? You're, everyone's there to have fun. So what do you do? You know, you all come together and it's like, hey, we all want to have fun. We're there for a common purpose. And I think that commonality is what I feed off of as a photographer. Understanding the experience. Understanding when is a good time to engage with people and when is not a good time to engage with people. All the, all the information that you have available to you, no matter what genre you're you're in, it's all about information. It's all about knowing, you know, if you're a wildlife photographer, you have to know about the animals that you're photographing or else you're not going to get images. If you go out to, sh- to photograph bears when they're hibernating, you're not going to get bear, bear photos. If you know when a bear feeds and you know what locations a bear is going to go to and when it is threatening to photograph a bear and from how close and how far and all this, you have to have information and you have to utilize that information.
1: That's how you get great images.
2: So Are one of so ways.
1: that you, you've touched on this a couple of times. I've mentioned it a few times. So y- you also, uh, as well as being a, a very obviously a, like an accomplished uh, photographer, I mean, you've got two books out. Um, I own both of them. They're both signed. Um, they're amazing. Thank you. Um, it, uh, genuinely, I'm, I'm not saying this lightly Two, two of my very favorite uh, books that I own. Um, they Thank mean a you. lot to Thank me. Thank you. Um, You've you've achieved and achieved and achieved, but uh, parallel you know lifestyle here. You still work um, full time with B and H Photo, mm-hmm. um, and so you get like a behind the scenes and at a high level behind the scenes. You know you're not you're not working in a cash, cash register. Nothing against that, but you're you're at a high level in the corporate uh, environment. You get to see where this industry is headed. What is it that you see that you? that makes you nervous right now about the way that we're all going?
2: Well, first of all, I want to point this out to everybody out there who is hung up on the title of being a professional photographer. And I think for a long time, this is one of the things that stood in my way was like, oh, I don't make all of my income. Or if 75% of your income doesn't come from your photography, you're not a professional photographer. And we all get caught caught up in the semantics. Shout out to all the people out there that are making a living doing something else. The weekend warriors, the people who pick up a camera when they can and they're picking up side gigs. You should feel every damn bit as proud of what you do as anybody else. There's no glory in just calling yourself a photographer, a freelancer, or it, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, get by how you got to get by. And if you never reach the point of being full-time making your 100% income from photography, it doesn't matter doesn't make you any less of a photographer, any less of an artist or anything. So, so let me get that out of the way, first of all. Um, honestly, I, I have nothing bad. Like I don't see like being plugged into the industry on, on a corporate level. And I'm dealing with a lot of top people, a lot of top brands. I see the other side of the curtain. I get the emails from photographers who are out there teaching workshops on how to run a business. And I'm getting an email from them like, how do I get sponsored? How do I get money? How do I convert this? Like, Wait, aren't you teaching a six-part series on this next month? Um, I see I see more than I want to see. Thanks for burning me on bliss. that one, Derek. I'm not going to email you next month. <laughs>
0: Passive
2: aggressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I see only good things and, and things that I think are beneficial to mm-hmm. everybody. And that's why I share information with people from that side of the curtain where... I think you know if I had to say you know one of the things like what was the original question like what you know to fear things to like yeah just
1: what makes you nervous I, I think I think people just in teacher. general about our in our industry feel some tension you keep mentioning this word tension and yeah. and I feel it at workshops I feel it at, at you know WPPI and PPE so what what is that you, or is it all you, you just know what I'm mis- nervous placed?
2: you know what I'm nervous about not the industry at large the industry is always going to be okay. There's always going to be people that drive the industry. There's always going to be people that, that carry the momentum and carry the load for everyone else. And there's always going to be people that get lost in the fray. I am nervous for, the, for a continuing number, uh, increasing number of people who get lost in the fray and they're motivated by the wrong things. And that's what I see from my industry experience is people who are going in the wrong direction. They're misguided. They're looking at the wrong things. If there's one thing that social media has taught us in the couple years that it's really taken a hold of, of the industry, it's that nothing is certain. Everything's a business. Even social media is a business and it's monetized and it shouldn't be a goal. Becoming an influencer, becoming a brand ambassador, none of that should be a goal. None of the, and, and I think that that's what I fear and I'm nervous about is I see so much talent pointed in the wrong direction. And I want to see people really take hold and take ownership of their creative voices and their creative vision. Don't create for what somebody else wants. Don't create for what moves the needle. I posted a picture yesterday of fireworks. I have no rhyme or reason to my Instagram posting. Sometimes I'll go months without posting anything and I garbage post on my Instagram stories. And sometimes I get sick of dealing with... DMs and responses and feel like I'm a jerk because I don't respond to every message and then I go ghost and I stop posting. That's that's what works for me. Right? It works for me and it has nothing to do with moving the needle in a social media fashion. I don't have a huge following. I don't get crazy analytics. There's people that think there's this other side of being an influencer, being a brand ambassador that's like this like glorious pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I'm sorry to introduce that idea to some people that social media ain't it, but that's what makes me nervous. I get nervous by the fact that our industry has, it's been cannibal. It's, it's like cannibalizing. We're cannibalizing ourselves. Look at look at followers, right? Let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back a decade to when Instagram is really taking off and you had the suggested user program. And it was like, okay, I'm a suggested user. When someone signs up to Instagram, they're going to see my profile with a list of 10 other profiles, right? I know Miles. I know Jared. I'm going to tell my buddies at Instagram, hey, Miles and Jared, they, they should be suggested users too. Okay, so I put my friends on. Cool. We hang in that little circle. We, we build each other up. And one of us might take it and say, hey, I was shooting with an iPhone a year ago and now I have a camera and I'm getting real photography jobs and I've made something of it. That was, a, that was a reality 10 years ago. That reality is gone now. Because what happened? Because everyone lusted after follower counts, right? They wanted to have the K after their number. And then what happened? You can buy followers. So what did that do? That devalued follower count. Then what did the brands do? Again, coming from the corporate side, brands started looking at analytics before anybody realized that you know, it was all about engagement. It wasn't about follower count. It was about how much engagement do you get? So now you saw this wave of micro-influencers pop up. Okay, I have 5,000 followers, but I get more real-world engagement than the person who has 240,000 <laughs> followers. So I'm going to start giving brand opportunities to the micro-influencers and let them move the needle. All right? And then What happened? People started buying engagement. Then we move on to our dear friend, the blue check mark and everybody lusted after a blue check mark. And if I could just get a blue check mark, I'm valid. And again, this isn't throwing any shade. Like every, I know I throw so much shade that it's oftentimes hard to uh, differentiate my shade from just really me being straight up, but we've devalued the blue check mark now because it's been monetized. And I didn't even really realize like the magnitude of all this stuff until I was at dinner with a friend the other day. I'm not going to name drop, but it's a, it's a very, very, very accomplished photographer, someone who's gotten further in the world of photography than I'll ever get. And he said, everything is just turning towards monetization. They're just monetizing everything. The artist, the creative, the photographer will never control their fate. They'll never control their destiny as it regards social media. Everything's just going to be monetized. What are they going to do? You know, Nobody's getting numbers anymore. Nobody's getting analytics. Nobody's getting engagement. And he kind of threw out the idea that everything's being throttled. Instagram, how hard would it be for them to throttle people to then monetize it later on? Oh, you don't want to be shadow banned? You don't want to be throttled? Well, guess what? We have a subscription service. We thought it was so far off a decade ago, but... Hey, right now, you know how many people jumped at the opportunity to pay for a blue check mark? A ton of people jumped at it because, and you know what? Look, I loved trolling them at the time. It made for great content. I it was, I was like a little cat, like hitting like a, a ball of yarn when that happened. I loved it. My Instagram stories were wild. But I totally get it because now you have some brands that are like, hey, okay, substantial. We don't care whether you bought it or not. You, it lends more credibility to you which if we use you, it lends more credibility to us. Let's go. But we're now self-cannibalizing. We're giving them the power. And we have devalued our own industry. I know this is like a really, really, really long diatribe about the whole thing. But I think if nothing else, if you listen to nothing else, I think this is the most important part of everything I've said since we've started talking today is, you know, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're, we're biting off our arm, cutting off our nose to spite our face. Whatever analogy you wanna use, we're doing it and we're giving all the power to them. Stop focusing on social media, it isn't real. We're, we're more worried about what a bunch of strangers online that we'll never meet face-to-face think and do and say than what we're actually putting out into the universe.
1: And there's the sound bite right there, that's huge. It's good. That's really good, Derek. good stuff and it, it takes it takes a lot of courage as a as a brand ambassador um, as a professional. it takes a lot of courage to speak out and say that because I think the the shallow end of the pool assumes that that's a you know like that's a shot that's fired at these companies. I think the reality is that the companies that we want to work with um, deeply appreciate. Working with creatives that have the integrity to know the value in their work, and um, I mean that—that that says a lot. Okay, so let's lighten it up because we just got super deep and super heavy. And I have spent—I've spent a lot of time at a lot of bars with you in New York, and I've never heard you this poised. Uh, this is interesting. It's like Derek without bourbon is a very different experience.
2: He thought he was getting something else. Um,
1: man, I—the old bait. I've <laughs> just never today. seen you keep your shirt on for this long. Okay, so. <laughs> I want to I want to fire off things because I, I, I want a bunch of sound bites because I'm just, I'm being greedy right now. I want favorite memories from you, okay? But you have to go quick with these. Like, you can't think too hard. Uh, I want you, fa- favorite memory from, uh, from PVR's Grotto. First, you have to explain what that is.
2: PVR's Grotto. So, the pool at whatever hotel it was we were all staying at, WPPI. It was the one WPPI that they had to reschedule over... Covid, so they had WPPI in August, so you could actually go to the pool because it wasn't in February and it was nice and hot. And slow motion video, Paul von Ritter under a waterfall. I don't think I need to explain any more than that. It was majestic. It was like it was like the unicorn of experiences.
1: Can I get a link to that pic- that video that I could post <laughs> in the show notes, please? <laughs> he's
2: he's gonna block me from his account and the von Ritter account. That's it. <laughs>
1: That's okay. Free some for everyone. Okay. So, uh, favorite, favorite memory, uh, with Allison Conklin.
2: Favorite memory with Allison, the tennis ball. Allison will get this. Um, I, I'm just going to say the tennis ball. <laughs> she will know. This is like an, if you know, you know, if I try to go into the story, it's going to be one of those, like, I'm going to lose people. Mm. Allison, you know the tennis ball.
0: That's what matters.
2: Mm. That's what matters. Yeah. Uh,
0: how about uh, favorite
1: memory with Pilot Joe?
2: Oh my God, Pilot Joe. Where do I start? Where do I start with Pilot Joe? The, the, the time I came up with Pilot Joe, when this guy told me how he crashed a drone at a wedding and then flew it up at night over the crowd for a crowd shot after crashing it. Now, if you've never flown a drone before, when you crash it, you're done for the day. Like, Nope, I'm not putting it up over people. I got to recalibrate that thing. I got to run tests far away from anybody else. I don't want that kind of liability. Pilot Joe is, in some universal spheres, he's a, a hero.
1: <laughs> That's Joe Torres for those of you guys that don't know who Pilot Joe is. Uh, how about, uh, how about uh, JB4, John Branch? John Branch.
2: Favorite memory, John Branch. Imaging USA, this year, Nashville popping up on him. He's coming down the escalator. You could tell he just wanted to get to wherever he was going and he didn't want to be stopped because John Branch is a celebrity and wherever he goes, especially when it's like a an event like that, he's like royalty. And here I am dressed. I looked like a patchwork quilt of garbage. You know my outfits. You know how I dress. And I popped up on him. So I slowed him up. I made a big scene. I forced him to take a selfie with me. And he told me after, he's like, right, I, I, I don't want to, like I, I got to just get where I'm going. <laughs> and he was so unnerved. But if you know me, you know that I, I love making people uncomfortable. John wasn't uncomfortable. He had to get where he was going. And I I made it a very slow, methodical scene.
0: Derek, what's your favorite memory of Miles?
2: My favorite memory of Miles. Oh, my God. How many are there?
0: I know. <sighs> he's got to think about it.
2: There's There's a lot. All right, just one. Making Miles take his button-down shirt off in the middle of the center bar at WPPI, where everybody everybody like gravitates to the <laughs> center bar. Am I gonna bar. have to cut this out? Because <laughs> I no it, no he had an undershirt on. Yeah, I was does. fully convinced. I was fully convinced that he was way more buff than me, and we both probably had some whiskey in us. And I'm like, give me your shirt right now. We're gonna settle this right now. We didn't have a tape measure to measure the guns. I just had to put it on. And I looked like, you know, the, the, the mouse from Cinderella that has the, he tries to pull the shirt down and it just keeps popping up. I think I popped like three buttons off of his button down shirt. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> that will forever be. Because no matter what Miles has over me, he's better looking. He's more successful. But I popped three buttons off of his designer button down. It was
1: Lululemon. It wasn't designer. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. You Thank you I, for sharing it. I haven't. It. I don't think I've seen that shirt since. To be fair, um, it's in Vegas. It's in the Grotto. Okay, last one. What about Stacy Moore?
2: Oh my God, Stacy's great. Stacy, hands down. My first phone call with Stacy was. It, I've never been so sure that I'm gonna love a person as I was on the phone with Stacy. Very first time we talked. Um, that was back, photo plus 19. I threw my hat in the ring. Little birdie told me that Fujifilm was doing some photo walks. Somebody suggested I, I send in my work and kind of see like, hey, what's up? Stacy left me a voicemail on a Friday. I called her back on a Monday. We talked for about an hour and I had to message her later in the day just to be like, I am still on a high from our phone call. You are awesome. I love you already. Didn't, hadn't even met her in person. Over the phone, I knew right away. And then, I, I mean... Stacy, you meet her in person, it's like taken to another level. It was like that phone call to another level, but yeah, Stacy. Stacy's a no brainer. You know right away you're going to love her.
1: Mm. This is cool. So, guys, the, the reason I ask all these questions if you have if you've hung in here for long enough to hear these little funny stories, the reason I've, I've asked these questions is because we've been talking so much with Derek about his love for humans, just his love for people, and how it informs his work. How Um, important it is that like the human element, from a psychological perspective, but also just from an instinctual perspective, informs him creatively. Y'all, if you don't have a community of people like this, that you just have endless numbers of stories and great things to say about them, um, it may be one of the reasons or, or one of the things that's holding your work back. And so I would encourage you you guys go go find that community. If PhotoCo could be that community for you guys, I hope, I sincerely hope it already is. Um, but DM me, DM me uh, over on Instagram or find us uh, in the PhotoCo uh, Facebook page or over in the Slack channels. Um, go and and drop like endless numbers of spam on Derek's Instagram page, please. Find community, like find ways to connect with with other humans and I promise your work will be better for it. Um, okay, Derek. Well, dude, man, uh, that was, that was 55 minutes of like pure gold. I didn't even know Oof. you were capable. I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I wasn't aware.
2: I feel bad because I'm all over. Th- I, I have to be a complete train wreck to edit for an interview or podcast. I bet
1: there's almost no editing to do to this. Jared would, would be the part. Jared, how, how much are we going to have to cut left. out? He's like, I'm done with this guy.
0: Probably a lot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed it a lot. I really appreciate your transparency, man. And yeah, you're just, you're really easy to listen to.
2: No, nah, it's appreciated. And I thank you guys for the opportunity. You know, it's, it's good to get your voice out there and get your opinions out there and do it in a platform where you're accepted. No mm. matter what. I know, I know I'm a, more than a handful to deal with. And, uh, you know, it, it's a journey. It really mm-hmm. is. All this stuff is a journey and you change and sometimes you don't even realize you change until you open up your mouth and you contradict something that you thought mm. or something that you've been following or believing and all this time. You're like, "Wait, maybe I don't feel that way anymore. Maybe mm. I changed." Change is good. It
0: you is know, you good. should always
2: be looking to level up and and progress yourself. So, I thank you guys for, you know, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to just sit and talk and, and get my thoughts and feelings out especially about the industry. So, Huge thank this you to you guy. guys for what you guys are doing and moving the uh, the industry forward. Mm, I'm here for it. Hey,
1: I, I've plugged this a couple of times. Last thing we're going to say, you guys, um, this is an exaggeration. It, it, this genuinely is not. I I, I will say you that my very favorite photo book that I own, and I own a lot, uh, my very favorite photo book is a book called 2020. Uh, it was a book filled with work that Derek shot uh, in New York City, often um, through pretty precarious situations, getting out during quarantine and uh, and taking and taking photos of empty streets and giving us an opportunity to see um, you know the most famous city in the world in in a really fresh way so there's going to be a link in the show notes uh, for you guys to check that out. It would mean a lot to me though. I can promise you guys that it would mean a lot to me to see a lot of the photo co community get behind that book uh, simply because I think it says a lot about who we are as a community, not only when we can all agree to get, get behind a product that's worth it, but when we can all agree to learn together and there's a lot of learning that can be done simply by scrolling through the photos of this book and, and I do it frequently. Um, Derek, dude, thank you so much for for taking time. You, Your man. time thank is so you, valuable, man. man. So this means a lot.
2: No, thank you guys. And thank you for the plug on the book. That was That was a project that I put my heart and soul into and I wasn't even gonna do because I didn't wanna be just another person out there pumping another quarantine book out into the ether. But the ultimate reason why I decided to do the book was, it's my voice, it's my experience. It's, I wasn't trying to present a certain vision of the streets. Or quarantine in general. I wasn't just looking for empty streets and people with masks. I wanted people to see an unbiased perspective of the greatest city in the world. So thank you, thank you for supporting it, for supporting me. Um, yeah, thank you.
1: It's called Twenty Twenty. Clicking down I, and and then and then genuinely go go hit Derek up. Uh, like a machine. You can you want to spell that? L i k e a m a c h e e n. There it is. If you uh, if you see this over on YouTube, you can see him with his own mug. He is this guy has more swag than anybody I've ever met. Oh uh, my gosh. students got this for me. I didn't think like it for a myself, my students. So I, I feel
2: I feel good about it.
1: Like a machine over uh, on on Instagram. Um, and, uh, and just connect. Um, and then as always, you guys will be back uh, maybe next week. Jared, maybe two weeks? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe never. Maybe. This might actually be our last episode ever. <laughs> you don't know. It would
0: be a good one to end
1: on. If you don't subscribe to this, you won't know though. And so it will be uh, either the last episode you ever hear or your loss. Those are your opportunities. So subscribe and like and connect with us and, uh, and comment on all the things that we're doing great. And then keep your mouth closed if you don't have something nice to say. <laughs>
0: All right, love you guys.